you'll keep those Bibles open and turn over to the New Testament, Titus, Titus chapter 2. We're picking back up where we left off a few weeks ago, where Paul is instructing Titus something that he declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that each and every member of God's church has a role. Each member of God's church has a calling. And and as Paul is talking about this in 1 Corinthians 12, he uses the body as an illustration and he says that uh, some members are called to be fingers and hands and some members are called to be toes and feet. Some members are called to be mouths and eyes and noses and some members are called to be other parts or members of the body. But each and every one of the members has a vital role in the ministry of the church because if you did not have fingers, your hand would be useless. And if you did not have hands, your arm would be useless. And, and so he's, he's talking about the importance of each member, but also at the same time he's talking about the contentment of each member. He, he says in 1 Corinthians 12 that the nose has no right to say to the eye, I wish I was an eye like you, but the Lord has made me a nose. You are to be a nose to the glory of God. You are to utilize your giftings and your calling so that you might honor Christ within the local church. And, and so we could spend a whole, a whole sermon in this idea of contentment, being content with the role in which God has given to you But Paul wants to instead begin to talk to different age groups and different genders within the church to help them understand that they are to reflect God's grace in their lives, demonstrate God's grace in their lives in the stage of life, in the person in which God has made them. And so last time we were in Titus chapter 2, we talked about, or we read about, exposited what Paul speaks to the older men within the church. What characteristics must they show forth? And and even we we define this older age group that Paul's speaking to here to be late 50s, early 60s, and beyond. It's those men who have been successful businessmen within the culture, within the community. It's those men who have faithfully raised children, maybe even now helping raise grandchildren. It's these members of the church who are the elders within the the local congregation. What is their role in helping establish the younger generation of men? Well, of course, as we talked about it last time we were in Titus chapter 2, it's these older men who should be teaching the younger men what it is to be a father, to be a husband, to, to, to work and to worship within the local church congregation, how to demonstrate God's grace as they grow older in the, the faith. And, and here this morning in, in verse 3, we have Paul turning his attention to the, the older women, the older women. And so I want to begin reading uh, in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, and I want to read through verse 3. 
Hear now the Word of God as the Apostle Paul writes, But as for you, speaking to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Then he begins to speak to the older men. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women. And so what's being established here is another facet of this three-legged stool of discipleship in which Vody Bachman, the, the, the famous modern-day Baptist preacher, speaks to in Titus chapter 2. He says, first there's ministers and elders who proclaim the Word of God from the pulpit. Then there's older men and older women who are teaching the younger men and the younger women. They're discipling them in how to do what is good within the life of the home, the community, and the church. And and then he says that there are fathers who, this is the third leg of the stool that we'll handle in uh, the next few weeks. There's fathers who will now take the gospel that's preached in the local church, into their homes, and they'll be diligently performing family worship. Well, as he talks about this second leg of the stool, these older men and the older women discipling the younger men and the younger women within the church, he gives these characteristics for these older women to display so that they might be fit to disciple the younger women. Remember, this is somewhat of the the theme, I think, of which Paul writes to Titus in chapters 1 and chapters 2. He's saying we must be fit to display Jesus Christ within our community, within our church, within our homes. No matter the spheres of influence that you find yourself in, there is a model to be demonstrated that is Christ-likeness. And so as Pastor Jonathan preached about last week, looking at the fruit of the Spirit during our fall Bible conference, we become what we behold, he said repeatedly. So our focus is the Lord Jesus, and out of thanksgiving for what he has done in our lives, in our families, in our churches, now we live unto holiness. And each and every one of these characteristics, this is nothing new, he's just given us characteristics of holiness that are to be displayed by older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And so dissecting, if you will, explaining, if you will, what holiness looks like for older women, he gives us a number of characteristics, just as he did with the older men. And so if you look at verse 3, it says that older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. Now let me go ahead and, and give a disclaimer. Paul uses some very interesting Greek language here as he writes it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in its original manuscript. As Paul is being driven along by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit's giving him the words to write, he, he uses interesting Greek language, actually unlike anything that he's used before. In all of his letters throughout the the New Testament, he, he pulls from this idea in verse 3, this reverence that the Lord Jesus speaks about in matters of worship, of belonging in the church, the household of faith. 
how, how to be about, what characteristic to display on the Lord's day, in the Lord's house, with the Lord's people. And so what the Lord Jesus is talking about in the Gospels is this idea of reverence and awe within the temple worship. Paul's using that language to now say that the older women are to display a type of priesthood, a reverence, an awe, a laboring amongst the people as they worship in the courts of the Lord. Well, you say, well, Matt, we're a conservative Presbyterian denomination. It's men who are to execute the offices of pastor and elders within the local church context. What do you mean that these older women are to be laboring and, and have a role of priesthood within the local church? Well, remember who they're teaching. They're, they're teaching the, the younger women on what it looks like to be a faithful wife, a faithful mother, a faithful member of Christ's church, even when it comes to the way in which we worship on the Lord's Day. And so you think about how we worship on the Lord's Day. Well, our kind of our vision statement for the church is that we would have authentic fellowship, but also reverent worship. And so we want the, the older women to display this reverent attitude when they come into the presence of the Almighty God. You see, one of the things that I think that we often miss within the, the local church is that when we come on the Lord's Day, in the Lord's house, gathered with the Lord's people, we are actually meeting with God. A God that is holy. A God that is good. A God that is magnificent, majestic, awe-inspiring. And, and the, the women of the church, the older women of the church, Paul specifically points out that they must be intentional in the way that they worship, diligent in the way that they're coming before this holy God so that it might inspire reverence within the younger women in the local church as well. And let me tell you how very kind of simply this plays out. Because we're, we're kind of a, a, especially for our community, I would say, a, maybe a, a higher liturgy church. We have Lord's Prayer, we have confession of sin sometimes, we have confessions of faith using the Apostles' Creed or the catechisms in which our church holds to, and we have all these confessings, and we have all these affirmings, and, and we have all these moving parts within our worship. How often have you found yourself just rattling off the Lord's Prayer simply because it's common to you? Very kind of haphazardly, you recite the Lord's Prayer. You, you mumble it under your breath just because that's something that we do in worship. Did you know that confessing the faith, reciting an affirmation of the faith, praying even in a haphazard, mindless manner is the breaking of the third commandment. You are taking the Lord's name in vain when you just go through the motions of worship and call upon the name of the Lord. And, and so what what Paul says that the older, the older women, their, their, their duty as they worship is to, is to display a, a reverence to the name of God, a reverence to the Word of God. It's a diligent, intentional worship of the Lord 
on the Lord's Day, older women are to reflect the fact that we are meeting with a holy God, the Apostle Paul says, because we're meeting with Him, because we're hearing from Him as His Word is expounded before us. But that's not the only thing that he says, is it? Not only reverent in their behavior, especially within the, the worship of the local church, but they're not to be slanderers. Or maybe your translation says gossipers. Older women are not to be slanderers or, or gossipers. Actually, remember Paul uses some, some interesting language here as, as he writes about this idea of gossiping or slandering. He, he actually uses the words for maliciousness. And in fact, he uses the word for malicious accuser. And let me just go ahead and bring this full circle to you. Who is called the malicious accuser in the New Testament? Well, it's Satan himself. The Greek word there is diabolos. That is exactly the language in which Paul uses. He's saying that gossip is the language of the devil. He uses strong words here to, to speak to the, the damage that the, that the tongue can do when we commit ourselves to gossip. Because gossip is these verbal accusations, abuses of people. And, and it's interesting here that he puts this idea of gossiping right next to this idea of being slaves to much wine. We, we know what happens, don't we? Remember, Paul is not forbidding you know, just casual use of alcohol. Paul thinks that this is a Christian freedom. That if you would like to partake in alcohol, you can do so. You just cannot be a drunkard. But we know what happens when a, when a group of women sit together with a couple of glasses of wine, don't we? They like to gossip. They, they like to, to talk about the newest news of the community. They like to be jury and judge. They like to be accusers. And, and Paul says we cannot be about that within our lives. We cannot give ourselves to that kind of mentality. We are not the judge and juror of every piece of news that we hear within our community. We are not accusers. We are not malicious in our, in our words. John Calvin actually says in, in his commentary on this very verse, he says, what it seems as if Paul is saying is that talk of, talk of to, being talkative is a disease. Being talkative is a disease, and, and it's something that we have to guard ourselves from. James tells us, the brother of Jesus tells us how much damage our, our tongue can do. He says that it can cause wildfires, and it can cause death. And so what Paul's saying here is that we must be guards of our tongues. And, and just so that we're not picking on women only, we know that this is a, a temptation for the men too. I think there's a lot implied in that statement that, that men tend to be gossipers as well. But nonetheless, it's something that we ought to avoid. Men are to lead. 
in their community, lead within our homes, lead within the church. They cannot display this loose behavior with their tongue. And also women need to guard their tongues so that they might not be malicious in the language that they use against others. It's very clear here within the text. And as he moves from gossipers or slanderers to to slaves of much wine, he begins to speak of this idea of not only self-control, moderation, but, but as you move to the next line of verse 3 there, they are to teach what is good. They are to teach what is good. What, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that an older woman is in a position to make a great impact on younger women so that they might develop into becoming a godly Christ-honoring, Christ-like woman. And and so, what do they teach? They must teach what is good. Now, what's implied there is that they're always teaching, right? What's implied there is that they're always teaching. You know, it was, we were, or Beth was, let let me not take credit for anything that I wasn't doing. Beth was babysitting, okay? Years and years ago, we had first gotten married, and Beth was babysitting, and, and I realized at that moment that when you have kids in the house, someone is always watching you. doesn't matter where you go. And, and so I tried to sneak away to the, to the bathroom, and, and as soon as I got in the bathroom and locked the door, I heard a, Mr. Matt, what you doing in there? I'm using the bathroom, number one or number two. Listen, I'm not answering that question. There's always eyes watching you. There's always always people around every corner. They always want to know what's going on. And so what Paul's implying here is that when, when the older women are going about their lives within the church, within the community, within their homes, even when they're casually sitting down for the enjoyment of a glass of wine, there are the younger women always watching. What are you doing? They're always teaching, and so the older woman must always say that I am going to teach what is good. I'm going to teach what it means to be a godly woman serving in the church. I'm going to demonstrate what it is to be a faithful wife to my husband, a nurturing mother to my children. I'm going to show them what self-control looks like. I'm going to demonstrate to them what, what positive words, how they build one another up. I'm going to do this because it's my role within the household of faith as we worship and as we fellowship. It's good for older women to teach younger women what God has what God has called them to be and to do. And so we must always be diligent. Older men, older women, as we tie right back into our last sermon in Titus 2, we must always be diligent and make sure we're displaying these characteristics because because of the call that the older men and the older women have within the life of the church. To teach what is good, to display perseverance, true faith, true love, to be dignified and reverent, sober-minded, self-controlled. 
You know what Titus 2, what Titus 2 actually tells us? Titus 2 actually tells us there's no room within the household of faith for the older men and the older women to sit on the sidelines. They have to be about the duties in which they have been called. The next generation depends on it. That's what Titus 2 is actually saying. It's not that we get to go home, older men and older women, and let the young people in the church run things or let the young people on the church, in the church serve in different areas. It's now more than ever, Titus 2 saying, it's time for you to step up because the next generation depends on it. The next generation depends on it. You know, we spend much time as individual families, ensuring that we leave a legacy for our children, don't we? We have college funds and retirement plans and, and life insurance policies, and we have advisors and helpers that help us navigate how to do these things and to do these things well. We are diligent about ensuring that our children are well taken care of when we're gone to glory. Shouldn't we have the same enthusiasm, the same diligence to make sure that not only are we living, leaving a, a financial legacy, but we're leaving a spiritual legacy. Because what's going to happen one day, First Presbyterian Church, is all of us are going to be gone. If the Lord doesn't tarry for His people, what church will be left for the coming generations? That is what we need to be concerned about, older men, older women. It's time to work. Younger men, younger women, it's time to watch and to observe and to be discipled. And fathers and mothers, it's time to raise up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord so that we can tell the coming generations of our faithful God and how He has loved us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank You for the opportunity to come to Your Word for these few moments. And Lord, we do pray that You would that you would encourage us where we ought to be encouraged, convict us where we ought to be convicted. Let us be a people who are concerned about leaving a spiritual legacy here amongst the people of God. Let us be content in the roles in which you have called us to serve. Let us serve faithfully and diligently there for your kingdom. May the way that we conduct ourselves in our homes, in our community, in our church show that we love the kingdom of the Lord and that our work, for, and our work for His house will ever be on our minds. So let us labor well all the way to Zion, to the kingdom of heaven. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.